This time we'll read in the Bible from Acts chapter 5. Begin the reading at verse 12 of Acts chapter 5 and read to the end of the chapter. Read this passage and the sermon we consider this morning is in connection with the work of Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as His Spirit upon the church. That in mind we read God's Word as follows, beginning at verse 12. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest durst no man join himself to them. But the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the Lord multitudes both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits." They were healed, every one. Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles, and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors, and brought them forth, and said, Go, stand, and speak. Speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came, and they that were with him, and called the council together, and all the senate of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, They returned and told, saying, The prison truly found we shut with all safety, and the keeper standing without before the doors. But when we had opened, we found no man within. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. When they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach? In this name, and behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Now the words of our text in verses 30 through 32. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom he slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. 
And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. When they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. Then stood there up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had in reputation among all the people, and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space, and said unto them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what ye intend to do as touching these men. For before these days rose up Thutis, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about four hundred, joined themselves, who was slain, and all as many as obeyed him were scattered and brought to naught. After this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing and drew away much people after him. He also perished, and all even as many as obeyed him were dispersed, Now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest haply ye be found even to fight against God. And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless the reading of his word unto us. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, Our text and the history of that text occurred a short time after the day which the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church, the day in which Pentecost had been fulfilled. At that time, the church institute in Jerusalem had grown tremendously. On the day of Pentecost, we're told that 3,000, 3,000 were joined to the church. A little later, we read again of another number, 5,000, teaching us that within Jerusalem, the church institute had swelled in numbers so much that the leaders of the Jews took notice. This church, those who follow the apostles, are increasing in number. But they must have also noticed as we do, that they were also increasing tremendously spiritually. Those who joined themselves to the apostles, followed their doctrine, worshipped faithfully on the Lord's Day, participated in the sacraments, whether in the baptism or the Lord's Supper that was administered by the apostles. Acts chapter 2 shows us that they lived faithfully one with another. If there were needs in the congregation, Those were taken care of through the work of benevolence, which at that time was administered yet by the apostles. The ministers, the apostles, were faithfully supported as Jesus had commanded his people in the book of Mark to support those pastors, those preachers, with a place to live, food to eat, clothes to wear, 
whatever they needed to take care of their work in the preaching of the gospel. The church flourished from every perspective. But as great and tremendous and exemplary as the growth of that early New Testament church was, so also the opposition to them. The devil took notice. The enemies of Christ took notice. When they saw the apostles preaching, and as we read in the passage in chapter 5, did many mighty miracles, not just of miracles of touching those who were sick, but Peter passing by in his shadow, being cast upon the sick, and then them being healed. The reports of that went through the city and came to the leaders of the Jews, and they were greatly troubled. Troubled because their their little kingdom of their teaching of works righteousness and all of the extra laws that they had developed and demanded of men was about to crumble, was being attacked, was being opposed, was being condemned. And so the opposition of the unbelieving leaders of the Sanhedrin and the others began also to increase as Jesus warned his apostles. As they treated me, so they will treat you. As they killed me, so they will kill, persecute, intimidate, beat, mock, whatever it may be, you. And so it was. They're hauled into prison, all of the apostles put into prison. The angel of the Lord delivers them from the prison at night, showing that the Lord is in control, not the leaders of the Jews. Lord, at God's right hand, and his kingdom shall prevail. They haul the apostles before the council and ask them, what are you doing? Didn't we tell you not to preach in that name? Didn't even want to use the name Jesus in that name? And so the apostles must give an account in submission to that authority of their duty as apostles of Jesus Christ give an account as the leaders of the early New Testament church, of the work of the church, and by implication of the work and duty of the office of believer as prophet to confess the name of Christ. In their answer, they gave the truth of the situation and showed the necessity and the reality of their official witness as apostles was dependent not on themselves. In the first place, they showed that they must teach and preach in the name of Jesus. Christ had commanded them. That's what they mean when they said, we must obey God rather than men. Not just God in this vague understanding, but that God in the flesh who died and arose, that God commanded us to preach in His name. We must obey Him. But then secondly, they defended the legitimacy of their work and their preaching. Not just by their witness, but they appealed to another witness. Which we would expect in a court. We want to establish the word of the evidence in the courtroom. We need this witness and then another witness establishing the same thing 
will establish the legitimacy of that testimony. And the apostles show them that they're not mere solitary witnesses of the name of Jesus Christ. If that were true, then surely they ought not to obey God. But they must obey men. They appeal to that other witness to show that what they preach and teach is true. This is the reality. This is what we must understand. This is what we must believe. Because of this other witness, which testifies that what we say is absolutely true. The question is, well, who is that other witness? The other witness, according to verse 32, is the Holy Ghost. Spirit of Jesus Christ. Beloved, that means for you as a congregation, as a church of Jesus Christ, and by implication as believers called to be prophets of Jesus Christ, to confess His name, your daily witness, or our official witness in the proclamation of the Gospel, is not a solitary witness. We're not in this work in the kingdom of God on our own in the earth. Our witness, officially as a church, or individually in our various spheres of influence, is backed by, supported by, made possible by, this other witness. By the authority, by the power, by the grace of the witness, the Holy Spirit. To that truth we call then your attention this morning, the witness, the witness of God's wonderful works. Look more in detail at who that witness is, of what he is witness. Thirdly, given to whom? And finally, in what way is the Holy Spirit the witness of God's wonderful works? So first of all, who is this witness? The witness is identified by the Lord in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, or that the day when Pentecost was fulfilled. You children remember the three signs of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There's first the sign of the sound of the mighty rushing wind, the sound of a tornado in the room where the 120 believers were worshiping the Lord on the Lord's day. Their hair didn't move. If there were drapes in the windows, they did not ruffle or move. The sound of that invisible wind of God was there, picturing the Holy Spirit as that irresistible or that efficacious, almighty, sovereign, invisible power of the triune God who then is revealed in the second sign as that sanctifying fire. As they were in the room, those cloven tongues of fire were upon their heads, signifying the nature of the work of the Spirit in His people and the result that that accomplishes in us. He consecrates us unto God, purifying us from the pollution of our sin from our unbelief and making us that new creation in Christ Jesus. And in that life of holiness, righteousness, and truth, to do what? What's the effect of that 
invisible one who conquers you and works within you that new life. Well, that's given to us in the third sign. What did the 120 believers do? They went out into the streets of Jerusalem and began to speak in many foreign languages. Instantly, they could speak in a different language to some Jew that had come from that faraway country, and they could speak in those different languages the wonderful works of God. That signifies in whom the Holy Spirit is pleased to work that purifying, sanctifying work of grace. And according to those three signs, the witness, which the apostles identify in verse 32, when they say, so is also the Holy Ghost, witnesses of these things. That witness is the Spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ, the man Jesus Christ. It means, first of all, He is the third person of the Trinity. Yes, He is in His person the one breathed from the Father to the Son, breathed by the Son to the Father. He is that interpersonal bond of the Father and the Son and that covenant relationship. And that Holy Spirit, His person, was given by the Father to the man Jesus Christ to be poured out upon the church. And that Spirit of the man Jesus Christ, our mediator, is the witness. He's different than Jesus. Jesus, we know from Scripture, is the Word. John 1 verse 1, In the beginning was the Word. The Spirit, however, is the witness of the Word. He proceeds from the Lord to make that Word, which proceeds from the mouth of God, a reality. He makes that Word effective. And by making that Word a reality, He confirms the validity of that Word that, as, the word is, as the Word of truth. We see that in the beginning when God said, let there be light, the Word went forth, and the Spirit hovering over the waters made that Word effective. There was light. Demonstrating the truth of the Word of God. Which teaches us then in the third place that that Spirit of Jesus Christ has a specific relationship to the Word. He has a relationship of service. The witness, the Holy Spirit, does not generate His own thoughts. He does not speak His own ideas. He does not speak according to His own will, what I think I should say or witness now. He is not a witness unto Himself. He is the witness always of the Word. The Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ is like a floodlight, not calling attention to Himself, but shining and pointing us to the Word, focusing our attention, even in the preaching, to the face of Jesus Christ at God's right hand. He points us, He makes known to us the glory of the triune God in Jesus Christ. And in that work, the Holy Spirit is faithful. He is 
as His name is, holy. He is consecrated to that relationship to Jesus Christ. Always to point us to Him. That leads us then to look at the second question of what then is the Holy Spirit witness? Just Christ? Well, the apostles explain that in a little more detail in verses 30 and 31 when they say, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew, and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Of these things, the Spirit of Jesus Christ is the witness. He is the witness of that event when wicked men nailed Jesus to the cross, hanged Him on the tree, killed Him. He is also the witness of the Lord and His resurrection from the dead. He is in a way, the proof of that resurrection. And gives a testimony of that resurrection and all of the infallible proofs given in the Scriptures of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We could say it this way, the Holy Spirit then is the witness of the wonder of salvation. When we read in verses 30 and 32 of the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, it teaches us that the Holy Spirit is the witness of the depravity, the guilt, the corruption, total depravity, the enmity of man against God. Very clear. That's the reality. That's the truth. The Holy Spirit witnesses of that reality of our own depravity. That's us by nature. But then secondly, in being the witness of the death and resurrection of Christ, the Spirit is also the witness of the unfailing goodness of Jehovah unto His own. He shows unto us that the salvation which God gives us and God works in us is something that is unconditional, sovereign, almighty, Efficacious, governed by God's good pleasure, built on the foundation of Jesus Christ alone, and established and maintained in us by the Spirit Himself. He is the witness of the wonder of that work of God to establish with us His covenant, so that we might be His people, and He might be our God. And that means then He is the witness of the wonderful works of God in His people. It's the witness of the work of Christ to come into us. Witness of what the Father does to make us His children for Jesus' sake through the blood and the shed blood of Christ and His atonement. He is the witness of all that He does to make us His children. Now we might wonder, Is the Holy Spirit truly qualified to fully reveal to us the wonder of our salvation? Because keep in mind, the word wonder means something which is incomprehensible, 
Wonder means it's something that man cannot duplicate. Man cannot help God do. Is the Spirit capable of accurately making known to us or testifying us of something which is incomprehensible? And then make that known to us. We believe, beloved, that the Holy Spirit is fully qualified, fully faithful in that capacity and that work of being the witness of these things, of our salvation in Jesus Christ. As you know, in our earthly life, to be a, to be a witness, for example, in a court case, there are certain qualifications that lawyers and attorneys will look for in witnesses. The witness needs to know the facts. You need to know what happened if, if you were next to the collision that happened on the road and you're asked to testify of that event. Well, you need to know the facts of that collision. Secondly, you need to have a reliable and capable memory. You need to identify perhaps the color of the vehicle, the direction they were traveling, various aspects of the collision that took place. But then most of all, you need to be an eyewitness. You cannot give testimony third-hand or fourth-hand in the court case. You need to be a first-hand eyewitness of what has come to pass. And the question is then, does the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ, possess those qualifications to be the witness? The Scriptures answer that question with an absolute yes. This Spirit, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, knows the mind of God. He knows the deep things of the mind of God. He cannot forget the mind of God and the thoughts of God from eternity, even concerning you and me. And knowing the mind of God, He can then accurately testify of those thoughts of Jehovah concerning all the works of His hands, but also in particular the works that He does in the church. Secondly, He knows the works of God as the power of those works of God, as one who is involved in those works. Very capable He is of knowing the mind of God because He is part of the fulfillment of that mind of God in all of the works of God. Which makes Him then an eyewitness, a first-hand witness to all of the wonderful works of God in Jesus Christ. We know that to be true in the beginning. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, there was the Spirit hovering over the face of the waters. And when God said, let there be light, The Spirit was there as the power of that Word, beholding the wonder of God. When the Spirit, or when God, formed out of the dust of the ground and breathed into the nostrils of Adam the breath of life, the Spirit was there, watching that invisible hand of God do that wonder in paradise. And He was the breath of God going into the nostrils of that man and made him a living soul. We can go through all of Old Testament history and see, yes, there the Spirit 
is the first-hand witness as the one who does that work, that wonderful work of God. And that's especially true in the death of Jesus Christ. He's the witness of these things. When Jesus was nailed on the cross and hung there, And what's important for us as God's people is not so much that He witnessed the nailing of the nails. Other people did too. Or the cross going up. Men saw that too. But what men could not see, what no man could ever comprehend, He did when the three hours of darkness came upon Calvary at noon. He could see in the darkness When Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The Spirit comprehended what Jesus said, while we could never comprehend what that means. That He experienced those inexpressible torments and the anguish of hell on the cross. But He witnessed the incomprehensible and comprehended it. He saw what is to us invisible and understands the mind of God and the mind of the Son of God in the flesh when He suffered for you and me. And that which He sees, what Christ did for you and for me, He is witness of that. He witnesses that infallibly, sovereignly, through the Holy Scriptures, through the preaching of the Gospel, so that you might see and you might hear what He understands of the wonder of your salvation. Helps us then to understand the answer to the third question this morning. To whom is this witness given? Is given to the church of all ages. We believe. That's even true in the age of history before Pentecost when Jesus, when the Scriptures teach that the Spirit was not yet. Which doesn't mean He wasn't active in the Old Testament. It merely means He was hidden. He was kept in the age, as it were, of type and shadow. But He was present in the works of God. He was active in the testimony of the saints. You can think of many examples in the Old Testament where those men in the Old Testament did before their enemies humanly impossible. We can see in them the witness. Think of Daniel's three friends before Nebuchadnezzar who insisted, O King Nebuchadnezzar, we will not obey your commandment. Sure, throw us into the fiery furnace. That's fine. Our God shall deliver us. Whatever way He wants to do that, That's evidence that the Spirit works in the citizens of His kingdom. Even in the Old Testament. It's in the outpouring of the Spirit on Pentecost that there we see in full color, full revelation, the Spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ as that Spirit that seals the finished harvest of Jesus Christ. Guarantees that all those whom the Father gave to Christ and all those for whom He died and suffered God's eternal wrath, those sheep and those lambs, marked by the Holy Spirit, will be gathered in 
to the fold of Jesus Christ. As history moves forward to the end and the final coming of Christ, there is not from the perspective of Christ or the Holy Spirit some uncertainty. Well, I'm not sure what the Lord has in mind, or I'm not sure what I'm seeing here. That's not the testimony of the Spirit. The testimony of the Spirit is, I know the mind of God, I know the work of Christ, and this is the sure, certain work of God in the church. That's the witness given to the church of Jesus Christ. You understand that it's not given to the world. The relationship of the Spirit of our Savior and Lord is a relationship of opposition to the world, striving against the world. To use the example of the court, the Holy Spirit is a witness against the world to show that there is no excuse for their ungodliness and opposition to the kingdom of God and the cause of the Son of God. His purpose is to keep those sins always in memory before the mind of God for their judgment and final condemnation and destruction. But for the elect in Jesus Christ, poured out upon the church, he is the witness of God's wonderful works of full redemption in Jesus Christ. He is the witness to you of our adoption in the family of God. That's the witness which we need in this life and which Jesus promised his apostles and us that he would give us for our comfort. He's given to us as our comfort because he is the witness of what God promised our forefathers. He would be our, our God and we would be his people. He would be our father he would, and we would be his children. That's a promise of God's fatherly care over us in this life. He would not leave us orphans. Not leave us without friends. And as we sang from Psalter 240, would not leave us without companions who love us in life. A church family. No, the witness is given to the church for her advantage in this life of misery and sin and loneliness and tribulation and many perils and temptations. Given to us as a witness of comfort over against all that is opposed to that. So that means He's not given to us as a witness of what we can merit to gain something for our salvation. That's not going to help us. Luther understood the more he worked, the more depressed he became when he understood that his works were polluted with sin. He always came far short of the the mark set before him. How could he establish his righteousness before God on his works? How could he have peace with God by his works? Spirit doesn't testify of something like that. The Spirit does not testify to you in this life with all of its problems. Well, basically you are good. You have to improve your self-esteem. 
Look to your works. Look to your personality. Just believe that basically you have that inner goodness of yourself. How is that going to help us? The Spirit doesn't give that kind of a witness. That's a lie. That's not the truth. That's not the reality. The reality is we have no value of ourselves. We're nothing. We were created out of the dust of the ground. And then, in Adam, we fell into sin, so that now, by nature, we're less than nothing. See, the Spirit testifies of that comfort which is of great advantage, is our hope and salvation in this life. He points us to Christ and makes us to know and to be assured of our place in Him as our only righteousness, our holiness, our wisdom, yea, our redemption. According to the Heidelberg Catechism, the Spirit leads us through the school of knowing our sin and misery in order to lead us then to Christ, in whom is all of our righteousness, all of our life, all of our glory, all of our hope, all of our happiness in this life, which is a valley of tears and sorrow. And then also leads us out of the wonder of what God has done for us to lead us then forth. And the promise that God continues to do wonders in us. In that life of bearing fruit, of thankfulness to Him. That's our witness. That's the witness that we need. And that witness that works in us becomes evident, as it did in the apostles. And that answers the question, in what way does the Holy Spirit function as the witness in His church. He functions as the witness in and through His eternally chosen church. And that's the significance of the third sign on the day of Pentecost. 120 believers, what did they do? Filled with the Holy Spirit, they went out in the streets and they did what the witness moved them to do. To speak the wonderful works of God. And then He moved the Apostle Peter to preach that sermon of the wonder of God and Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, ascended, and seated at the right hand of God. That's the Spirit, you see. In the New Testament, who gathers, establishes His church in Jesus Christ, and preserves her unto the end. And He is that witness not next to the church, but through the church of Jesus Christ, through you and your seed. So that we who are by nature false witnesses, He makes us the true witnesses of the wonderful works of God's grace, not just something theoretical, but the grace of God which takes us who were once darkness and sin and ugliness by nature and makes us in Christ Beautiful, active, fruitful. In this life, yes, in a small beginning, but not to be despised, that's the work of the witness. When we work or when we live in that life of daily conversion and fight the good fight of faith, that's the evidence 
of the indwelling power of the witness of our Father in heaven and Jesus Christ the Word. You understand then, beloved, we are not just witnesses standing here and then, well, we're going to talk about the wonderful works of God. The Holy Spirit shows here in the text we are the witnesses by the power of the witnesses as the wonderful works of God. So that that witness is worked by the Spirit in you, through your heart, through your mind, through your soul, through your life, all the days of your life. With the hope that in heaven that will be perfectly completed. For without sin, our testimony will always be accurate reliable, true to the truth of the glory of God and Jesus Christ unto us. Then he will also fulfill that witness, the apostles teach in their answer to the Sanhedrin, in the sphere or in the way of obedience. The Spirit does not function as the witness by telling us to believe our redemption in Christ, but then you may live and walk in ungodliness and sin, and that's okay. And that's the work of the Spirit, the witness? No, that's not the work of the Spirit. We may not think, well, yes, I am washed in the blood of Christ, but now this week I can walk in sin. I can do what I want with my life. That's unbelief, beloved. And that's not the work of the witness. That's a false witness of our unbelief. And from that we must repent. Spirit does not work within as the witness within the sphere of disobedience, but within the sphere as the apostles themselves showed by the grace of God in uncompromising, antithetical obedience to God and not to men. Christ gave us the commandment, teach and preach in my name. Do miracles also to support that preaching. That was the duty they were given. To that they would not depart. And so must we. We need the Holy Spirit as the witness in us to be His faithful witnesses. Without the Holy Spirit, we cannot know the truth. We cannot desire to love that truth. We cannot know Christ. We need the Holy Spirit to break down that pride, to make us humble, to make us fruitful in the life of Jesus Christ, to conform us more and more to the image of Christ, to make us those fruitful branches of Christ. Pray, beloved, that witness of the Holy Spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ may dwell in you. Whatever circumstance of life you may be in, whatever age you may be, that He may dwell in you powerfully, mightily by His grace. So that by faith, within that life of obedience to Him, according to His commandments, you may be mind and heart and soul and strength, a living witness of the wonderful works of God as one of those wonderful works of God by His grace. For Jesus' sake, 
by the witness. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father who art in heaven, we give thanks to Thee for Thy Word. We're thankful that we may spend a few moments this morning to think on the truth of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the church. Rejoice, Heavenly Father, in Thy great promise and Thy gift to us. With the Holy Spirit we are sealed unto the day of redemption. Grant us the grace then not to grieve the Holy Spirit by unbelief, by rebellion, by dismissing Thy Word. Grant us the grace by Thy Spirit to turn unto Thee in repentance, to believe in our Lord Jesus Christ, to be by the power of the Holy Spirit, a faithful witness, whether as a church of Jesus Christ or as believers and our seed in particular, faithful witnesses of the wonderful works of Thee, our God, as those very wonderful works themselves. The work of Thy grace in us to change us from darkness into life, from unbelievers and unbelief to believers and true faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Hear us in thy mercy, for Jesus' sake. Amen.